Once Upon a Time is right now here at Fable City Radio with your host, Martha Whitehouse. In tonight's episode, we will listen to the story of the Emperor's New Clothes by Hans Christian Andersen, and first published in 1837. The popular version of the Emperor's New Clothes is credited to Hans Christian Andersen, but the origins of the story are much older. The story is based on a medieval Spanish story written in 1335. Anderson made several substantial changes to the original tale, specifically adding in a child who plays a pivotal role at the end of the story. There is speculation about why he added the child to the story, with some hypothesizing that an incident in Anderson's own early childhood inspired the addition. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy my version of The Emperor's New Clothes. The Emperor's New Clothes. Once upon a time, there was a realm ruled by a very vain emperor. Everything in his realm had to be perfect, but no one held themselves to a higher standard of perfection than the emperor himself. His manners were impeccable, his face was regal, his hair was perfect, and he always fancied himself the best-dressed and handsomest man who ever existed. His beautiful clothes were to him the most important things he possessed. Sometimes the emperor changed his clothes more than five times in the course of one day, and each time he appeared in a new outfit, his courtiers and everyone who served in his castle made sure to compliment him very loudly. In fact, the emperor became very unhappy if he did not receive compliments on his clothes. He even grew furious when the compliments didn't come. Anyone who said anything that was other than complimentary about the emperor soon found themselves banished from the kingdom, or even worse, they might find their heads banished from their bodies. Ouch. The king never heard the truth, or even anyone else's opinion, about anything. His advisors said yes, 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 yes more yes. than they said no, or even maybe. And so they were not really advisors to the emperor at all. They were just mirrors to his vanity. The king's rule over his subjects suffered because of his vanity. Every decision he made was based on whether it made him feel better about himself and was never about what was best for his subjects. One day, the emperor was sitting on his throne, hearing from petitioners who lived under his rule. Each person approaching the emperor bowed deeply, cleared their throats, and gave the emperor a long compliment on his clothing, his health, and his appearance. Then and only then did they make their requests. Each petitioner made sure to start his request by saying something like, Your Highness, you are looking so well and so handsomely dressed today. Is that a new suit, a new hat, a new cravat, a new doublet? It is so splendid. You get the idea. Eight villagers stood before the emperor, gave him their extravagant compliments, and made their requests. The emperor, pleased with the praise, 
granted each request in turn. Then it was the ninth man in line's turn to speak. He was a poor farmer who raised a few crops and raised pigs to sell in the town market. He was very distracted while he waited in line because he was quite worried about his pigs. He was running out of pig feed and he had to ration their food. The pigs were becoming quite sickly. So when he stepped before the emperor, he wasn't thinking clearly. He bowed briefly and quickly made his request to the emperor, but he forgot to start with a compliment. Please, your highness, I beg leave of you to ask your permission to let my pigs graze for acorns in the part of the royal forest that is nearest to my little farm. The harvest has been very poor this year, and I'm very afraid that I won't have enough food to fatten my animals up before the market day. I'll be ruined if I can't feed my pigs. The emperor, annoyed at the missing compliment, said, Is that all you have to say to me? Yes, your highness, said the poor farmer. Well, in that case, the answer is no. I don't want my subjects associating me and my realm with filthy pigs. What will my fellow emperors think when word reaches them that I've let pigs into the royal forest? That's a terrible idea. The farmer turned to the emperor's advisors to ask them their opinion. Yes, 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 yes. They immediately said, the emperor is right. So the farmer went away dejected and sad, knowing that his pigs would go hungry. The farmer's fortunes went from bad to worse. Soon he was forced to sell his pigs and his farm. He received a small sum for the sale, but he wasn't sure of what he could do to make a living and support his family. For years, the farmer traveled the countryside in an old covered wagon. His wife and three children lived, very poorly I might add, in the back of the wagon, and they all foraged for food and firewood, never knowing where their next meal would come from. Slowly, three long years went by. They traveled far and wide and saw many things, but one day their wanderings brought them back to the familiar countryside where their farm had once stood. The farmer was still very angry with the vain emperor for not allowing him to graze his pigs in the royal forest. While he and his family traveled, the farmer had a lot of time to think. He wanted to find a way to get revenge on the selfish king, but he wanted to do it without risking the king's wrath and without risking his own head to the axe. Then a marvelous idea came to him. The farmer knew that the emperor would have forgotten all about him by now, as the man was always preoccupied with his own vanity and was showing off his attire to prove he had the best of everything. As the farmer entered the realm, he made up his mind to get his revenge on the vain, heartless emperor by preying on his extravagant taste in clothing. Driving his wagon through the small, narrow streets, the farmer spotted a small, abandoned building. It was a little shop front. That's when the idea came to him. He decided to open a tailor shop, but it would be a very special tailor shop. There was only one customer the sad former farmer wanted to serve. Several weeks later, sitting in his perfect castle, the vain emperor decided that things still weren't quite perfect enough for him. His castle was perfect, his horses were perfect, his furnishings were perfect, his crown was perfect, the food he ate was perfect, and most importantly to the king, every piece of clothing he wore was perfect. He cut a very dashing figure in his silk, satin, and fine lace garments. He owned hundreds of outfits. 
Still, he felt like something was missing. I long for the most regal clothing I've ever owned. I must find clothing so fine that no other emperor who comes after me will ever be able to match it. The emperor decided to send his most trusted minister to visit the village closest to his castle to find new fabric and thread for his royal tailors so that they might complete a masterwork of clothing that would surpass every other garment he possessed. The minister, following the king's instructions, chose two guards from the palace to accompany him to the main street of the small village and started searching in all of the shops for the best fabric and the services of a new tailor. He looked at the wares in the various shops, but no cloth or thread seemed special and regal enough to be worthy of the emperor's ownership. Finally, the minister stopped at the last shop in the town square. The minister was tired and irritable after a full day of shopping and finding nothing of value. He was glad he had made it to the last shop, but he was also frightened that he might disappoint the emperor if he didn't find what he was looking for. On the window of the last shop, there was a small sign that read, Rare and unique clothier, serving only the most regal and discerning clientele. This sounds perfect, thought the minister. I hope this will be my final stop. Inside the shop, the minister was astonished to see a man sitting in front of an elaborate golden loom, holding a large golden shuttle. He pushed the shuttle back and forth, and after every pass, he pushed down a golden batten, showing every sign of making cloth, but the minister could see no cloth. The minister cleared his throat to get the weaver's attention. The farmer, for it was he who was sitting at the loom, had caught wind of the minister's impending visit and was ready for him. Ah, yes, sir, he said. I didn't see you there. I was so engrossed in my work that it kept my full attention. How can I help you, sir? I am the king's most trusted advisor, said the minister. I have come to seek out new fabrics and the finest garments for his majesty. What are you doing there? I am weaving the finest cloth in the world, answered the farmer. It is a fabric so virtuous that only the fittest and most worthy can see and appreciate it. It is as rare as the gossamer wings of the fairy folk from which it was made, and twice as magical. Clothing made with this fabric will grant the wearer a charmed existence. The minister was speechless. He couldn't see anything except the loom, which appeared to be empty. But he thought he'd better not say that. Aren't the colors and the fabrics lovely? asked the farmer. I'll wager that you've never seen their like anywhere. Why, no, I certainly have not seen anything like that. I, I mean, it's, well, it's, it's extraordinary. How came you by this uh, unique, the, the unique materials for this cloth, he asked. It is quite the story, said the farmer, for this fabric is made from the nearly transparent wings of a rare species of fairy. It produces the lightest, most delicate, yet exceedingly strong and beautiful cloth in the world. Of course, it takes the wings of thousands of these fairies 
and they are only attainable by traveling to distant caves in Patagonia, where the fairies go to molt their old wings when they grow new ones. Once harvested, they are brought to me at great expense, and I use my singular skill to weave them into the fine cloth you see before you. You yourself can see the extraordinary quality of this fabric only because you are a man of integrity, confidence, competence, and intelligence. Lesser people can't even see it to appreciate it. Come closer and feel its fine texture. No, um, that's all right, said the minister. I can see it from here. It is lovely, and I would not want to spoil your fine work by touching it. It certainly is lovely, agreed the farmer. Since you are an emissary from the emperor, I hope you will take word of this miracle fabric back to him. It would make a handsome suit of clothing. If that is, he might be interested in such a thing. But perhaps it is too luxurious for his taste. He's probably the practical type who cares nothing for personal vanity. The minister cleared his throat. <laughs> I will bring word of this marvel to the emperor at once. I'm sure he will want at least one suit of clothes made from this fabric once he learns of its value, so please do not sell it to anyone else. I don't know, said the farmer. There has already been a great deal of interest in this cloth from several interested parties, so holding on to it on speculation might be difficult. I will give you a deposit of 50 ducats to hold on to the fabric until I return, said the minister. The farmer pretended to think the offer over. Very well, I will do it for the emperor, but remember, I am only doing this for the emperor. I will hold the fabric for one night and one day only until he decides on what garment he would like made with it. I will, of course, have to be the tailor who creates the garment. This fabric is so rare that only a handful of people know how to sew with it. The minister handed over the money, thanking the farmer profusely for his consideration, and he left in great haste to bring word of his discovery to the emperor. Be sure to tell him all that you have learned today about this fabric, said the farmer, as he saw the minister out of the shop. The minister told the farmer that he would bring word of the miracle fabric to the emperor as soon as he returned to the castle. When the minister returned to the castle, he lost no time informing the emperor about the fabric, the impressive loom, and the talented weaver. As he described the fabric, he repeated what the farmer had told him, never mentioning that he hadn't actually been able to see the fabric for himself. The king, who was very vain, had no doubt that he would be able to see the fabric's unique beauty and that it would show everyone who mattered how superior his taste and character were. Word spread quickly throughout the castle and then throughout the emperor's entire realm about the miracle fabric, and soon people started lining up outside the farmer's little shop to look at the empty loom. Everyone had heard that only the most worthy people with good taste could truly appreciate the fine cloth. So as each person, unwilling to appear ignorant, got their turn to look at the cloth, they ooed and awed and said how wonderful, beautiful, and even miraculous it was. The minister returned to the shop the very next day, carrying a large quantity of gold, and ordered the first outfit for the emperor. He asked the farmer to make a full set of undergarments, trousers, a shirt, and a long doublet. The emperor wanted gold hooks for the doublet, but the farmer told the minister that gold was simply not good enough for the fine cloth, so he said that he personally would make fasteners made of the same fairy material and promised the entire outfit would be ready in two weeks. 
and that he would deliver the garments and do the final adjustments on the emperor for a perfect fit. Finally, the day arrived for the clothes to be delivered to the emperor. He was more excited than he could ever remember. He could hardly wait to show off his new clothes. He imagined all the compliments he would get, and he relished the idea that everyone would be jealous of him. The farmer arrived amid great fanfare. He was followed by an entire parade of townspeople who hoped to catch a glimpse of the emperor in his new clothes. The emperor ordered that the farmer be brought directly to his private chambers for the fitting. The farmer carried a huge, elaborately wrapped and beribboned box, which he set down proudly before the emperor. Your Highness, this is the finest work I have ever done as a tailor. My dearest wish is that you will get everything you deserve when you wear these clothes. The farmer bowed deeply, all the while reveling in the fact that the vain emperor would finally pay for the harm he had caused the farmer and his family. The emperor rubbed his hands together as the farmer opened the box with a flourish. He carefully pulled apart layers of tissue paper, then he slowly reached both hands into the box and pretended to pull out a suit of clothes. The emperor stared. He saw nothing. Aren't they exquisite? asked the farmer. The emperor remembering that his minister told him that the magical cloth could only be seen by the most worthy and capable people, didn't want to admit that he saw nothing. So he said, I have never seen anything like it. They are, are so beautiful, stunning, really. The farmer carefully laid the imaginary garment down on the emperor's bed and asked him to disrobe for the final fitting. When the emperor was naked... The farmer pretended to help him into the clothes, all the while commenting on the light, gossamer quality of the fabric and reminding the emperor that it was made of fairy wing so that the wearer could barely feel that he was wearing anything at all. The emperor primped and preened in front of his favorite mirror, pretending to admire the clothes. The farmer encouraged the emperor to go down to the courtyard of his castle to show himself before his subjects. Everyone will be very impressed, said the farmer. Well, you can guess what happened next. The emperor strutted outside, turning this way and that. The assembled crowd murmured their praises, and then a great cheer went up, commending the emperor on his fine taste. When things settled down, the small voice of a child piped up. But he's naked, Mommy. Why is he naked? Why is the emperor naked, Mommy? The crowd was stunned. But then someone started laughing in the back of the crowd. Soon the entire throng of people were laughing, tears streaming down their faces, pointing at the emperor. Naked, he's naked, they all mocked him. And in their mockery, they remembered all the times that the emperor had been cruel because of his own vanity, and thus they mocked him even more. The emperor could take no more. He ran from the assembled crowd, locked himself in his royal bedchamber, and never came out again. He ruled for several more years, issuing orders from behind closed doors, but eventually the shame killed him. As for the farmer turned questionable tailor, he left town quietly with his family during the commotion, and he carried with him all of the gold he received from the vain king. He traveled to a new country and bought a new prosperous farm where he lived happily ever after with his family.
the end. So what meaning or message can we find in the emperor's new clothes? On its surface, the emperor's new clothes sounds like a cautionary tale about the dangers of vanity and how it can lead to self-destruction. But that is only its surface lesson. It's not just about the emperor fooling himself to his own detriment. It's also a warning to everyone not to equate popular opinion with truth. Whether or not a thing is popular has no bearing on whether or not it's true. The emperor in this story is vain, but he's not the only gullible fool. No one is willing to own the truth about the non-existent fabric except a child, whose innocence seems to shield him from the need for a lie to protect his self-esteem. Remember at the beginning I mentioned that uh, Hans Christian Andersen added that child into his story. It wasn't in any of the original versions of the story. And uh, I said that it might have been something personal to him. Apparently when um, Andersen was a child, his mother took him to see some royal personage, a king or something, and he was a little kid and he said something like, but mommy, he's only a person, he's only a human. Uh, and his mother was embarrassed and it tried to hush him up. So uh, that may be the reason why. It's a, it's a good explanation for why he added a child uh, who's skeptical to his own story. I also like to think of the emperor's new clothes as a warning to look very carefully at the implied value of things. It cautions us to be wary of things when there is no there there. Um, what I mean is a, an object or an idea may be presented as valuable, but is it really? Value judgments are subjective. Value and beauty are in the eye of the beholder, but the objective value assigned by a seller doesn't always correspond to value that's perceived by the consumer. Recently, an NFT or non-fungible token piece of artwork was sold at auction. It was one of a series called Bored Ape and depicted a cartoonish drawing of an ape looking bored as the name implies. There are many different versions of the Bored Ape. Each one is unique from the others and some of them have sold for millions of dollars. For me, they're not worth five cents. But the market has declared me wrong. People who buy them perceive them to be valuable. I do not. In the Emperor's New Clothes, the Emperor is being sold absolutely nothing. And for a while, everyone buys into its value. But when situations change and attitudes change, value can pretty much disappear overnight. I think that someday, when the infrastructure supports it, like when there are easy virtual canvases in everyone's home to display digital artwork on, and a reliably secure way to make sure that no one can make illegitimate copies of a single unique piece, digital art will have just as much value as works on paper, and it will be a permanent value that won't change with, with kind of fad-like buying and selling. Step by step, we are getting there in the digital art world. Frame TVs are obviously very popular, and they display digital art with amazing clarity. But, uh, you know, I still wouldn't pay five cents for those apes. Okay, that's just me. But back to the story. Most of all, the Emperor's New Clothes admonishes us to pay attention to the value of practicing healthy skepticism, and that, that it's okay to really ask for proof before we start believing things, and that's a lesson we could all stand to be reminded of from time to time. Until the next time we meet, remember to hold on to fun and hold on to some fiction, and the next time a news article or an online story keeps repeating the same alarming things over and over, Pick up a book 
or listen to a story, and join me again soon in Fable City Radio.